All right, we're going to be continuing our study in Acts now. Uh, we'll be in Acts chapter 15 starting out. And last time we looked uh, at the first mission trip of Paul and Barnabas. They traveled and spread the gospel, and as they did, they encountered more and more persecution. The last place they visited, Paul was stoned and left for dead, but he survived. And on the way back, they stopped and encouraged all the new believers, and they told them, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Then they returned to their home base in Antioch, and they shared their testimonies of God's goodness with the people there. And so that's where it's going to pick up today. So I'll go ahead and pray real quick here. Thank you, Lord, for your word, and thank you for uh, this opportunity, Lord, to get together and look at your word together, Lord. I pray that you would uh, speak through me now, Lord, and that it would be your word spoken and not my own, Lord. I pray that you would just uh, minister to us here tonight, Lord. In your precious name I pray, amen. So in Acts chapter 15, it starts out saying, And certain men came down from Judea and taught that the brethren... Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So this is a big problem here. Uh, Warren Wearsby's commentary says, What were these legalists actually doing and why were they so dangerous? They were attempting to mix law and grace and to pour the new wine into the ancient brittle wineskins. They were stitching up the rent veil and blocking the new and living way to God that Jesus had opened when he died on the cross. They were rebuilding the wall between Jews and Gentiles that Jesus had torn down on the cross. They were putting the heavy Jewish yoke on Gentile shoulders and asking the church to move out of the sunlight into the shadows. They were saying a Gentile must first become a Jew, then he become a Christian. It is not sufficient for them simply to trust Jesus Christ. They must also obey Moses. And so uh, it could be that these legalists might have had a good heart about it. Maybe they wanted the people just to help the people out there. But really what they were doing was trying to take steps backwards and undo all the work that Paul and Barnabas had just done on their missionary journey. They just converted these Gentiles, and uh, now they're trying to turn them into Jews instead of Christians. So they uh, decided to send them to Jerusalem and talk to the elders and apostles about it. So in verse 3 it says, So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all the things God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And so as Paul and Barnabas were making their way back to Jerusalem, they were sharing the testimony of that missionary journey. And you'll notice that some of the people had said they were They caused great joy for them. They really rejoiced in these testimonies of hearing what God did to the Gentiles. But these other people, uh, some of the Pharisees who believed, you know, they were criticizing them. And that's what will happen with us too, you know, as we share uh, experiences of things God's doing in us. Some people will rejoice with us, but other people will try to criticize us. And uh, it's important not to get discouraged by that. And uh, on to verse 6 now it says, Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter, 
And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by the mouth of the Gentiles, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. And so Peter starts talking by bringing up his testimony of what happened with Cornelius and his household just a few chapters ago. But uh, if you remember, he uh, had the vision from God about the sheet coming down. And uh, he found out later that that meant that what God has called clean, we shouldn't call unclean, and that he had that uh, mission to go to the Gentiles. And we saw that uh, God worked powerfully there. They got saved and were immediately filled with the Spirit. And so in these few sentences that Paul just said here in verse 6 to 11, he brings up some good points. Uh, First, he points out that God had a plan and a calling for the Gentiles to be reached with the gospel. Uh, God has a desire for them to be saved. Another point he made was that God knows the heart. These believing Pharisees were upset that the Gentiles weren't keeping the law of Moses, but it's the heart that God really cares about. And it's easy to get caught up in religious traditions and rituals and have the wrong heart the whole time. And if you don't have the right heart when you're serving God, then uh, that's what he really cares about is the heart. The third point is that uh, Peter reminded them of the proof of God's acceptance of the Gentiles. He gave them the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that he gave to the apostles. And God doesn't show partiality uh, between the apostles and the Gentiles. And so with that proof that they received the Holy Spirit, it shows the Pharisees here that God accepts them without them being circumcised. Otherwise, he wouldn't have given them the Holy Spirit. Another point he makes, he also states that uh, God purified their hearts by faith. It all comes down to Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Uh, You guys might know that by heart, but I'm going to look it up here. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that's how God's salvation works. Grace is the door and faith is the key, but even that key itself is a gift from God, so we don't have any room to brag about it. And circumcision and the law of Moses aren't what makes us right with God. It's faith in Christ. And uh, his death on the cross wipes out our sins. Another point Peter made in this small section was... uh, uh, that uh, he's saying that these Pharisees are actually testing God by putting the yoke of their legalism on others. And in James chapter 4, verse 11, James 4, 11 says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? And so that tells us that it's God's place to judge and make the laws. And when he did, when he uh, 
told the Great Commission to the disciples, you'll notice that Jesus didn't say anything about circumcision and the laws of Moses. He said to go out and make disciples of Jesus. That's what his heart was. And so it's really his place to say uh, what the laws are. So on to verse 12 now it says, Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. So again, Paul and Barnabas get to share their testimony of what God did. And uh, it goes right along with what Peter was saying, that God is reaching out to the Gentiles. Let's see here. On to verse 13 it says, And after, that they had come be, after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. And uh, Paul, uh, oops, let's see here. So James uses the scripture to show how God wants to reach out to the Gentiles. The old covenant didn't work out because it was dependent on man to do his part. But the, God rebuilt the covenant so that it is all about what Jesus did and not what we do. God says that he's going to rebuild the tabernacle of David. And it's interesting because it's saying that he's not going to start from scratch. And it's not like God got rid of the law of Moses. But instead Jesus fulfilled the law so that we wouldn't have to. And he did this so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, as that verse says. And Jesus came to earth to make himself more available to us. We all know that John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the whole reason Jesus came to earth was to bridge that gap between man and God so that we could be closer to him. And verse 18 says, Known to God from eternity are all his works. And so this is God's plan all along. He had this incredible plan for all, uh, from all eternity past. He's had this plan. And some of the people are confused with what's happening with the Gentiles, but God wasn't surprised or confused by it at all. He knew that all these things would happen, and he had this plan perfectly laid out. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. And so James' judgment after this was that they shouldn't trouble those who are turning to God. So these people who are free for the first time, you know, they experience salvation and the freedom that comes with that. And it's not fair that the, these uh, legalists are trying to burden them again. And the first two things here that James says uh, they should refrain from is kind of a moral issue. He was saying that they shouldn't eat food sacrificed to idols because it could bring them back into idolatry. It's like they're getting a step closer to that. And Paul talks about that further in Corinthians. To summarize it, he says that uh, if you have enough faith and understanding to eat food sacrificed to idols without hurting your conscience, then you can do that. 
but don't do it anyways if it's going to cause your brother to stumble. And uh, the last two things he mentioned, or the last thing he mentioned there, he said to abstain from things strangled and from blood. They kind of go hand in hand because if you strangle an animal, it's not going to drain the blood properly. And so that was kind of more of a ceremonial issue. But uh, the importance of it, though, is that if the Gentiles aren't eating these things that are strangled and still have the blood in it, then the Jewish believers are going to be a lot more comfortable fellowshipping and eating with them. And it's a compromise to bring the two groups together. The Gentiles didn't have to be circumcised, but they were exhorted to do these other things. And uh, it was to bring them together in fellowship. And that verse 21 again said, For Moses had, has had through many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. And it sounds like James there is kind of saying his whole reason for uh, this is that Moses has been preached for long enough. You know, it's time to preach Jesus now. So on to verse 22 it says, Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely, Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such command, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. And so this letter must have been a really big comfort to the Gentiles in Antioch. You know, they might, some of them were probably worried and confused with what the Pharisees were telling them to do. But uh, they told them that the Pharisees that did come to them weren't sent by the church in Jerusalem. And that Paul and Barnabas were sent. And they, he added that they risked their lives for the gospel. And you can be pretty sure that the Pharisees didn't risk anything, you know. They probably just went there and started burdening the Gentiles. But even if they would have, they wouldn't have had the same results as Paul and Barnabas did, the same fruit. Because uh, the ministry that they did, the Holy Spirit was working with them and brought all that fruit. And the, end, the letter ends with, if you keep yourself from these, you will do well. So it really was a good exhortation for them to abstain from those worldly things that are going to uh, slow them down. So on to verse 30, it says, So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas themselves, being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So they shared the encouraging letter, and Judas was sent back, 
with uh, words to the apostles from the Antioch uh, brethren. And Paul and Barnabas stayed there with Silas. It's cool, too, to see that fellowship there that the brothers actually wanted to tell the apostles things and encourage them uh, also and sent Judas with those things. So in verse 36, it goes on. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So Paul and Barnabas have a sharp agreement here, disagreement here. Barnabas is the son of encouragement, and he wants to encourage Mark by taking him on this trip and giving him a second chance, because the, the first missionary trip they went on, Mark left pretty much right away. But this is kind of uh, Barnabas's character and gifting is to encourage people. And you remember that uh, he's the one who brought Paul into the fold, so to say. You know, the apostles and brethren didn't trust Paul because they knew he was persecuting the church. But Barnabas was the one who went and got him and brought him in and said, hey, he's a good guy. His conversion was true. And so uh, Barnabas wants to encourage Mark and Paul sees him as uh, immature and that he, he thinks that he shouldn't take him on this trip because he'll slow them down again or get into trouble maybe. But uh, the Bible doesn't really say, from my perspective, which one is really the wrong, you know. Maybe they're both a little wrong and a little right. But it seems like this is all part of God's plan here because now they're splitting up into two separate teams and covering more ground. And uh, Barnabas is taking the same route as their first missionary journey. If you look in the little map in the back of your Bible, and uh, Saul's kind of starting at the end of the journey and going that way. So he's kind of, it would be like they would meet in the middle, but later Saul's going to be called off to other work. So uh, you can look in the, the little map in the back and see where their two journeys uh, intersected. And this time he's taking Silas with him. So uh, to chapter 16 now it says, Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily." And it's interesting how God plans things out, you know. Paul was a Jew, but he was also a Roman citizen, and that came in handy in his journeys. And here Timothy is a Jew, but he's also a Greek. And this is uh, the crowd that uh, Paul is called to reach is the Gentiles, and Timothy's kind of a really good in-between for that. He's part Gentile and part Jew. It's kind of funny, though, because... Uh, here, he has Timothy circumcised, but at the same time, they're going around telling the Gentiles that they don't need to be circumcised. So it's kind of funny. It seems almost hypocritical, but it all goes back to making those compromises in order to bridge the gap and not offend people. 
the churches were uh, encouraged again with these uh, letters that they're uh, sharing, and they were still growing daily. So in verse 6 it goes on, Now when they had gone through Phrygia in the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So it's easy to get discouraged when you come up to a closed door. And that's what happened with Paul and Silas here. They were going to go this way, and the Holy Spirit stopped them. And they tried to go this way, and the Holy Spirit stopped them. And so they went the third direction there. But uh, you can rest assured that whenever God closes a door, it's because he has a better door that's already open for you. And uh, this is such a great vision that P, uh, Paul had here. He sees a man pleading for help. And there are many people out in the world today who are desperate for change and for hope. And they may not know what they need, but they know that they are in need. And uh, Jesus wants to reveal himself to them and be their provision. Uh, another interesting thing in verse 10 here, you might have noticed, but uh, it changes the story from a third person's narrative to a first person. It says, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. So it seems here that Luke actually joins the party of Paul and Silas with them and Timothy. Which is pretty interesting since he wrote the book of Acts here. He's just joining the party to see the rest of it firsthand here. So in verse 11 it says, Therefore sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony, and we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. And so uh, a part of uh, the history and culture there is that the Jewish people wouldn't build a synagogue unless there were ten male uh, Jewish men there. And so if they don't have a synagogue here and they're meeting by the river, and it says that it sounds like there's only women that are meeting there. So that kind of explains why they didn't go straight to the synagogue like they normally do. In verse 14 it goes on, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. And so it seems kind of subtle here, but it's really awesome to really look at in that these women were seeking God and God revealed himself to them. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? 
Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And so if we really are seeking God, he's going to reveal himself to us. And that's really cool to see in the scriptures here. And I've even heard modern testimonies of this, that these people who don't have access to the Bible even, like I've heard a few stories of people who are Muslims in a Muslim country, you know, there aren't any missionaries there. They don't have any Bibles there. It's illegal to have a Bible. And there's some people who have never even seen a Bible before, but they want to know God, you know, and they're reaching out to him in their, in their religion, even though they're not reaching God that way. But God reveals himself to them in visions and dreams. And they actually, uh, one guy actually said he, in his dream, he saw a Bible and he was reading it. And uh, he actually came to the Lord through that. And uh, when he found a Bible later, he couldn't believe it. It literally was a Bible he saw in his dream. So even today, when people are really seeking God, he's going to reveal himself to them. So down to verse 16 now. It says, Now it happened as we went to pray, went to prayer, that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. So what the slave girl was proclaiming was true, and so it sounds like, well, why should that be a problem? But when it comes, uh, when it comes from someone who is demon-possessed, it sounds kind of sarcastic, you know? It's like the devil was trying to take some of the power out of the gospel by associating himself with it. But uh, like all the plans of the enemy, God's about to turn it around and use it for good. So in verse 18 it says, And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And so this is a really sad picture. Someone is freed from being demon-possessed, but her masters only care about their profits and that their profits are gone. And it's crazy to think that uh, someone could be arrested for exercising a demon, you know. But uh, it shows you the heart of men here. They care more about their money than this woman's life. So in verse 20 it goes on, And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And so it's funny, the accusations these people brought against Paul and Silas weren't the real reason that they wanted them arrested. Uh, there's no law for freeing someone from a demon, so they had to make up some accusations. And uh, after they were beaten with many stripes, they were put in the most secure place in that prison. It says he was in the inner prison there. And he even locked their legs in the stocks there to make sure they couldn't escape. So in verse 25 it says, But at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And I don't know about you, but I wouldn't really feel like singing if I had been put on trial falsely and beaten and thrown into prison. But uh, 
Paul and Silas did. And in Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 11, Paul later writes about this. Well, not this scenario specifically, but uh, through the different trials he endured. He says in Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So this is the attitude we should live life with. We should be always rejoicing. And uh, Paul also says to be gentle to all. And it's not easy to be gentle to those who just beat you and throw you in prison unless you remember that the Lord is at hand, uh, that eternity is not that far away. And we don't need to be anxious or worry. We just need to let God know what our requests are. Notice that we're supposed to request things from God, not name and claim it. And uh, even if God doesn't answer our requests the way we want, uh, we will, he will still give us peace for praying and asking. And it's trials like this that Paul was referring to when he said to rejoice always. And that's exactly what they did. And it's also interesting to see that the other prisoners were listening to them. Even though it's midnight, you know, the other prisoners are probably tired, but they're listening to them rejoice and praise the Lord. And when we're going through trials, the world keeps a close eye on us. Somehow they were... Uh, they know we're being tested. And they want to see what true colors come out. They want to see if we really practice what we preach. And uh, I was working in a factory for a long time. And I would tell people that I was a Christian when I talked to them and everything. And it seems like they would not pay attention and would kind of brush it off. But it's funny because as soon as you mess up, they point, they come up to you and say, I thought you were a Christian. And so it's like that's when you know they were really watching and listening so the world is keeping a close eye on us to see how we respond and what our attitude is. In verse 26 it says, Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And so it's not just Paul and Silas who are released. It says that everyone's doors opened and their chains fell off. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, Supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said to him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took, the, took them at the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. And so uh, the Romans' rule back then was if a prisoner escapes on your watch, then it's your life for his life. So this officer knew he'd be killed, and he figured he would just kill himself instead. But uh, Paul stopped him. You know, uh, there are probably some people who, if they were beaten and thrown in prison, they wouldn't have stopped him. They might have waited for him to do that and then ran away. But Paul stopped him because he cared about him and wanted to reach him with the gospel. 
And so the result of all their trials here uh, is that a possessed girl is freed and prisoners are released and a jailer's whole household is saved. And it shows us that Paul and Silas uh, didn't even have their wounds cleaned before this. They were thrown into the prison cell with their probably bleeding wounds. But after the prisoner uh, guard is saved, it says he washed their stripes. And it's kind of funny because as soon as he washes their stripes, then they baptize him and his family. But uh, it makes you wonder if any of this would have happened if they didn't have that spiritual attitude when they were going through this trial. If they had this fleshly attitude and if they were complaining instead of singing praise songs, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Down to verse 35 now it says, And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers saying, Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officer told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So it sounds like the magistrates uh, probably figure they're still in their cells. And they tell the prisoner to go ahead and let them out. It's kind of ironic because they're already out of prison. After being so gentle this whole time, you know, Paul said, be gentle to all men. Now he's kind of making a scene and saying they can come get them themselves. And uh, they could have gotten in a lot of trouble for doing what they did, uh, beating Roman citizens and putting them in prison without even trying them first. They didn't realize they were Romans. And so they actually came and pleaded with them to leave. And it's funny because they kind of took their time. First they went to go see Lydia and the brethren, and then they departed. And so the enemy tried to take away their witness, you know. They were mocked by a demon-possessed girl, but God showed them that he had power to cast out demons. They were beaten and imprisoned unfairly, but uh, God showed that he had the power to sustain them through those trials and to free them from the most secure prison in the, or cell in the prison. And uh, God showed that he had the power to save the household of the prison guard. This is someone who would have been considered an enemy, but he was turned into a brother. And so all the enemy's plans were turned around for good. And that's all I have for tonight. So we'll go ahead and pray and we'll have more time of worship here. Thank you, Lord, for this time together, Lord. I pray that uh, you'd help us to remember the things in your word, Lord God. Help us to live them out, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be rejoicing always, Lord, and to be gentle to all men, Lord. Help us to not be anxious, Lord, but to submit our requests to you, Lord. And I pray that you would give us that peace that surpasses understanding, Lord God. I pray that you'd be with all of us tonight, Lord, and throughout this upcoming week that you'd help us to keep our eyes on you and to walk in your ways. And I pray that uh, you would be blessed in this time of worship, Lord God, and that our hearts and eyes would be focused on you. In your name I pray. Amen.